Good morning. Today's scripture lesson comes to us from Acts 1, 1 through 11. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he had proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they no longer could see him. As they strained to see him rising into the heavens, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've heard a British preacher that I love a lot named Mike Pilavachi tell the story that I think is great. Uh, it goes like this. In 1955, in a suburb of Washington, D.C., Elizabeth Henson was cleaning out her closet. Uh, one of the things in her pile of clothes to get rid of was a fuzzy green coat. Uh, to her surprise, her son uh, goes by the, the pile of stuff and he asked if he could have that coat. I'm sure she wondered what on earth a college-age boy wanted with a fuzzy green old coat. Um, I, I've had that thought. Huck has this blanket scarf thing that he got from my mom because she was getting rid of it because it's atrocious. And he carries it around everywhere. And I always think that. What does he want that ugly thing for? And so I wonder if the sentiments were similar. So uh, Elizabeth's son, he takes the coat. And, um, and the story goes that uh, with a lot of joy, he took it to a workshop that he had. And, and he took the coat and he cut it up into pieces. And he grabbed a needle and thread. And he worked a little magic and put the pieces back together in a new way. And then he found a ping pong ball and cut it in half and glued or in, uh, uh, sewed the two parts of the ping pong ball um, to the top half of the old green coat. And in a wild series of events, this coat uh, became uh, internationally renowned. It received an honorary doctorate degree and an Oscar. It was the grand marshal for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And it has guest hosted uh, The Tonight Show going back to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. It's appeared in multiple Saturday Night Live sketches. And it also went on, in Mike Pilavachi's words, to have a long-standing celebrity love affair with the most glamorous pig on the whole planet. Uh, in 1955, no one would have guessed that a ratty old coat would turn out to be Kermit the Frog. No one but Elizabeth Henson's son, Jim. Jim Henson could see beyond what was ratty and old and no longer valued. Uh, he could see beyond what a useless piece of fabric was to what it could be. He could see beyond what it was to what it could be. 
uh, probably no one saw Kermit the Frog coming in. And who knew that the story of Kermit the Frog would be such a perfect and clear picture of what it means to be a Christian, of all of Christianity. In our scripture lesson today from the book of Acts, we see this pillar of our faith in action, this, this, this idea in action. It's a story about how the broken beautiful comes into purpose. It's a story about how Jesus sees beyond what something is into what it could be. The ascension of Jesus, honestly, is uh, a pretty confusing piece of the Bible. It's one of those things that's really tricky to explain. It's tricky uh, because we have this eyewitness account recorded uh, from Luke in the book of Acts of the disciples seeing Jesus go into the clouds. It's tricky because um, we have the science in 2020 to know uh, that uh, that the uh, that heaven isn't just beyond the cloud line, that there are galaxies that disprove that idea. And, and so I'm not sure that I can uh, fully explain the science behind the ascension to you in 15 minutes or maybe ever, and and I'm not even sure I can fully explain the ascension of Jesus spiritually to you in 15 minutes uh, or maybe ever, but I can say this. The ascension of Jesus is this mysterious moment where the Jesus who was dead and then alive, who had appeared to hundreds of people over a 40-day period, Jesus, who was a walking resurrection, talking about the things he had always been talking about, the kingdom of God. It's a mysterious moment where the risen and alive Jesus returns to the heavenly realm, returns to his father, while somehow still not abandoning his people. The ascension, it's not Jesus putting distance between himself and the heaven or, and God. It's not uh, Jesus putting distance between uh, the heavens and the earth. It is Jesus occupying the space between the earthly things and the holy things. The space between the mortal and the eternal. It's an inauguration of God's kingdom, an opening of power and purpose. Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he talks about how the rule of the day at this time for pagans, for the pagan gods was, so like the gods of the Greek and Roman mythology, the the rule of the day was an understanding uh, that the mood of the god affected the mode of earth. That an angry god would send lightning or hail or earthquakes, that that things, uh, it was sort of a formula to say, as above, so below. Uh, but Jesus, as he does so many things, he turns the formula on its, uh, in its day on its head. And he instead says, as below, so above. The story of the ascension is absolutely about uh, the coronation and the majesty and the glory of Jesus. Jesus um, fully becoming the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's, It's the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And at the same time, it is also a story about the power and the purpose that he left in the lives of men and women to live out his kingdom. Acts, uh, in Acts chapter one, we find the commissioning from God for his people through the words of Jesus. It's called the great commission, a kingdom mandate. Go and tell all the world. Go and tell everyone. Live out the kingdom, make disciples, baptize people, tell everyone. Jesus, he disappears into the clouds and he leaves the keys to his kingdom in the hands of his followers. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 that not only was this the plan, it had always been the plan. In Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11, uh, Paul says this. He says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus's plan was always to leave the keys to his kingdom in the hands of humans, which is absolutely bonkers. Do you realize who's standing there in this story? Uh, We know that the disciples are standing watching as Jesus ascends into the clouds, his disciples, a group of men from Galilee, We've talked before uh, at Springbrook about the process of being chosen to be the disciple of a rabbi and how most rabbis would pick the best of the best. But Jesus, he did the exact opposite. Jesus doesn't go to the city to find the brightest and best options for his disciple. He goes to the Sea of Galilee and he finds some uneducated fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're, they're standing there in this moment. Uh, Peter, who never really quite gets the answer right, who's impulsive and self-protective. Peter, who's barely six weeks from um, the time he cut off a man's ear and then denied even knowing Jesus. James and John, they're standing there. They're, they're called the Sons of Thunder. I can't imagine the nickname Sons of Thunder came from their warm and rosy and patient disposition. Uh, they're, they're always asking Jesus about power. Days before this, they ask him if he wants to call down fire from heaven to destroy Samaria. It's, it's their, they have this obsession with power. And, and remember a few weeks ago when we read John's telling of the resurrection story and he in the biggest and most important story that he will ever tell includes the fact that he beat Peter in a foot race. I was listening to a sermon about John recently and the, and the preacher pointed out something that I hadn't noticed before. Uh, if you read the last verse of John's gospel, it says this, the last verse of the last chapter says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. John, who doesn't include things that Jesus did and said, things we will never know about Jesus, could somehow find the time and space to include in two places that he was a faster runner than Peter. Also in the group is Thomas. We talked about him a few weeks ago who struggles to believe. There's Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was a freedom fighter. He was part of a group that um, uh, was avenging deaths of Israel's religious leaders by fighting the occupying Roman government. He was, for all intents and purposes, a terrorist. And then there's Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, who was in bed with the very government that Simon was zealously fighting against. There's Philip, who never in a million years thinks that Jesus could feed 5,000 people and I could go on. Standing before Jesus is a group of men who do not, by anyone's account, including their own writings, have it all together. And he leaves this whole thing to them. In his uh, hauntingly beautiful poem, uh, When Kingfishers Catch Fire, Gerard Manley Hopkins describes it like this. He says, For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the feature of men's faces. 
the ascension of Jesus, it asks us to believe that the kingdom of God has been left in the hands of the church, that it means that we are one of the 10,000 places in which Christ plays out the wonder and the power of his kingdom. And I don't know about you, uh, but that's, that's a little hard for me to believe. It's, it's so much easier for me to believe in the incarnation of Jesus, of, of God made man being fully God and fully man, of Jesus being born with all of the glory and the power of the Father, uh, God's goodness and power and delight and glory dwelling in Jesus the man. It's, it's easier for me to believe in the birth of a Savior than it is for me to believe that he left all of his hard work in the hands of humans. Humans, that he left the 11 men standing below the clouds, the keys to his kingdom, and that the wildfire that started uh, from them would mean that he also left it in our hands, my hands. I think he's off his rocker that he would choose to dwell in me, to impart the kingdom of God into the world through me, that I would be a place that Christ would choose to play. And I have dozens of examples of other church people in history, both world history and personal history, that I think are terrible picks for kingdom ambassadors. Christ playing through us is, has always been hard for me to believe, but this is what the ascension is asking us. It's asking us to believe that we have a role to play in the coming of the kingdom. Like Chad talked about last week, that we have purpose, that Christ in us is the plan for the rescue of the world. In Ephesians 2, Paul says it like this in verse 4, he says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that, we, that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in us all he has done for us, all who are united in Christ. Verse seven, so God can point to us in all future generations as examples of his incredible wealth of kindness and grace. We are the plan God in his infinite wisdom points to us in order to show how rich and how wild his kindness and grace are. He uses us to point um, beyond what we are to how kind and gracious he is. And that's a very wild plan. The truth is uh, when we look to the people of the church, we can so often be disappointed. But when we look beyond when we looked beyond them, and, and, and that's what the point is. We look beyond them that we, that we would live lives that, that would point beyond ourselves to the God who is rich in mercy and kindness and abounding in love. If you have been disappointed with the church, and I, I'm not belittling uh, the damage or the realness of your struggle or your pain. I'm truly not. I've been there too. Um, but what I'm saying is how wild God must be, how, how full of grace and how full of kindness he must be to use people, old, green, ratty coat people. He's off his rocker and he is abounding in love. It is a wild and beautiful system. 
It's wild and beautiful because of this. Uh, when we get it right, it points to Jesus. And when we get it wrong, it points to Jesus. When we get it right, when we walk in the power of our purpose, when we, when we live out the freedom of the kingdom of God, that points to the Father who has united us with Jesus and sent us into the world uh, to join him as he renews the whole thing. And when we get it wrong, when we tighten our grips on our things or our money or our tables or our circles, it, it, it points beyond us to the God of the open heart and the open hand and the open table whose wealth of grace and kindness is beyond compare. It's a wild plan. Uh, one last thing before we close up. I never paid much attention uh, to the last few verses that we read today in Acts 1, um, but it struck me this week and it kept striking me this week. Jesus, he disappears into the cloud and the disciples are looking up in the sky, uh, squinting and, and trying to see him. I pictured myself in, during the eclipse, if you were out in the world looking at that, then maybe you can relate. But they're looking up at the sky and they're squinting, trying to see him. And then Luke tells us that two angels appear and they say this, they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? And I get it. Uh, I would be standing there gazing into heaven, having no idea what I'm supposed to do next. In some ways, I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm standing in the middle of this pandemic and I'm staring up at the clouds and I have no idea what to do next. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit said this to me and I really think it was for our church uh, when I was reading uh, for today. And, and I felt like what the Spirit of God said was men and women and kids of Springbrook, why are you standing around gazing into heaven? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is active. We have been given a mandate, a, a commissioning to be Easter people in the world, to be kingdom people in the world now. Our commissioning hasn't been placed on pause. There's no pause on our purpose. Not in, in the future when things are more settled. Now, the plan is us now. Now is as good of time as any to learn how to follow Jesus deeper. And now is a great time to be better neighbors and community members and helpers and friends. Like we said, the very first Sunday of all of this, uh, church isn't canceled. Following Jesus hasn't been put on pause. Love and joy and peace and, peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They, they, they have not been placed on pause. They are still the plan. So hear what I think is the spirit of God to us this morning. Men and women and kids, why are you waiting for the church to open back up to do what you were meant to do? The kingdom of God is at hand today. Today. So um, for our sale today, I, I want to read a prayer from Jesus. It's a prayer of blessing um, out of John chapter 17. It's, it's where Jesus, he's praying this prayer, prayer blessing on his followers. I'm gonna read it from the message version, uh, John 17, and it's, it's 13 through 23. It'll be in the notes if you wanna follow along. Um, but if you want to just close your eyes uh, and receive this, receive this blessing of Jesus meant for his disciples and meant for the church, for you, for us. Here's what he says. He says, now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. 
I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sake so that they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so that they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I give them. So they'll be unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and love them in the same way that you've loved me. Amen.